Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you. I, I made one circuit before we started, and a bunch of you came in after that, so I haven't met everybody yet. But those I did meet, it's good to see you, and those I didn't meet, I'll see you after church. How's that? So, well, praise the Lord. We get to worship today and to gather together in his name. It's a privilege to share God's word with you, and I thank Pastor Tim for the opportunity to do that. Uh, Tim and I did meet years ago. He was pastor at uh, the church before this one in uh, Eunice, Louisiana. And uh, I know that the place where he came from, I was in Lake Charles for a number of years and had preached all over that area, including the church he pastored later. And, uh, and so it has been neat to watch what God has done with Tim and Susan over the years. You have one of the most gracious men as a pastor in the state of Louisiana. And I use gracious in the biblical sense of grace-filled. He is a gracious man with a tender heart for the Lord. And I am thankful to call him friend and grateful that we get to serve together in the North Shore. I want to thank you for your support of our work together as churches in the North Shore. You're a part of a group of churches, about 90 congregations, from the Pearl River to the other side of almost just in the Livingston Parish, up and down the I-12 corridor. And you are part of the only group of churches that has a plan to reach the loss in the North Shore collectively. Did you know that? There is no other group of churches that is seeking to eliminate lostness in the North Shore. But we have a great challenge before us, dear ones, because over the last 20 years or so, up and down the I-12 corridor, we are living in an area that's growing rapidly, one of the fastest growing areas in the state of Louisiana. At the same time that you and I have lived here, if you've lived here for 20 years, not only has the population grown by about 30%, but church attendance has declined almost by the same percentage. Now, I'll let you infer your own conclusions from that, but we have a challenge to take the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. I want the North Shore to be one of the most difficult places in North America to go to hell from. Right now, it's too easy. We have work to do. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians, chapter 4. I want to talk to you today about the topic of adoption, when he makes you his child. The topic of adoption we're going to read about in Galatians, chapter 4. I struggled some this week. When you itinerate, you speak in different churches, it's really, in some ways, it's a little more challenging than pastoring. When you're pastoring, you're preaching through books or you're doing studies and you kind of know what's up next week and, um, and you rely on the Lord for that process. You do. But when you itinerate, you don't have a clue where that church is at. You don't know what's happening to them. Uh, I didn't ask him to say, tell me what to preach, brother, because he didn't. And, um, and I, I started off the week saying, have you preached through 1 Peter lately? He said no. And so I was, I was being led to 1 Peter 1, I thought. To talk about faith. Well, we didn't do that. But I do feel very strongly that we need to talk about adoption today. Now, why? Why would we need to talk about adoption? Because, dear ones, as a church in North America, increasingly I encounter pastors and church members that do not know who they are in Christ. And if you don't understand the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you, 
you're in trouble at the very heart of your Christian life. In John 14, Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. And that's a word that makes you think of adoption, doesn't it? He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The relationship is changing. You have followed me for three and a half years, but now I'm not going to be present with you. The world won't see me, but you will see me. This relationship is going to continue, but it's going to be very different. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you're not bearing much fruit, what's the problem? There's a relationship with the Lord Jesus that is absolutely vital to your life as a believer. And I believe adoption speaks to the very heart of that. So, so there's so much in Galatians I, I wish we could talk about today. Galatians, as clearly as any other book in the New Testament, talks about the new life that we've been called to, that we've been gifted in Christ. It's not all on us. The weight and responsibility of, of living the Christian life is not all on us. The burden of making all the decisions and calling all the shots and having all the plans is not on us. That responsibility has never left the hands and the heart of the Father. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's an entirely different way to live than the way most of us approach life. But I want us to focus on the heart. Where, where does all this come from? I want to focus on the heart of that with this word adoption. And I want to build our, our study today around three questions. What is adoption? What does adoption tell us about God? And what difference should adoption make in the way that you and I live? And so I want to call your attention to Galatians chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 1. And we're going to start with this first question. What is adoption? What is adoption? And in Galatians 4 verse 1, this is what we read. The Apostle Paul says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would take it and apply it to our hearts. We pray it would not be words on the page that would stir us, but the very truth applied to our heart by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up just outside San Antonio, Texas, in a mobile home park, trailer park, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the correct word is now, but that's where I grew up. And when I was very young, my mother and dad, my birth father, divorced. And it affected me. I, I had all kinds of buddies around me in that, that trailer park where we lived outside San Antonio. We ran around all summer long. It was hot, barefoot running on shell gravel around Pin Oak. Our feet were tough. 
I didn't know how tough they were until I tried to walk on it now. <laughs> and, um, and we ran around all summer. We killed snakes. We did all kinds of things you shouldn't do. And, but deep inside me, there was always a sense that I was, I was different. Now, I wasn't different, but I felt different. I didn't have a dad. Now, this day and time, that's probably not as big a deal, unfortunately, as it was when I was young. When I was young, that was still an unusual deal. And, and so I didn't, I didn't have a dad. And, and when I started off grade school, uh, I had a name different from the one I have today. And then later, my mom began dating a young serviceman in the Air Force, and they married, and he adopted me. When he adopted me, everything changed. I had a dad. I had a new name. I had someone who owned responsibility for me and cared for me. And that showed, showed up in a change of life for me. It was life-changing. So I want you to see something that transition. There's a, a report card from the first grade that I have. I want you to see. Go ahead and pull that up. Uh, you'll notice, first of all, my name was different, Donovan Donnelly. And uh, I never was a Donald. Teachers would call me Donald. I'd say, wait, Donald's a duck. <laughs> my name's Donovan. And so people would call me Don. But Donovan Donnelly, that was what Donovan Sykes Donnelly. I was the second one born that way. My, my birth father, that was his name also. And, and so in the first grade, I had a different name. Now, my life was a little different than what it would become because look at my grades. Go ahead and flip that next one. I don't know how well you can see that side of that, you'll see an academic in process. You'll see C's and B's, some D's, and if you go down to the bottom, the conduct on the left side, you can see it. D, F, D, 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 D. Now, I don't have any clue why they did that. <laughs> I was having a wonderful time. I was absolutely clueless that I was causing any difficulty for the teacher. And um, I thought my conduct was exceptional. I had gone straight from daycare into grade school, and no one told me there was a change that had taken place. And so you keep on going, look at the next side of it, closer at the social characteristics, work habits. I want you to know that S means satisfactory, X means needs to improve. Needs to improve. How many X's do you see under uses time wisely? I thought I used my time exactly the way I wanted to. And uh, respects authority, they said it needs to improve. I spent a lot of time with authority. They, we were on a first-name basis. I was very close to people in authority. And um, exercise of self-control. They said I needed to improve the entire year. I was in the first grade. Exercise. Myself was entirely under my control. The entire time. That was unjust. And then controls talking. Um, that was a teacher's job. It wasn't my job to control talking in the class. At least that was my perception of things. So everything changed, though, when I was adopted. I want you to see the next report card. Uh, my dad, who adopted me, gave me his name, Pusick. And that's been my name since about second grade, third grade. And he was from Portland, Oregon. And his mom and dad were from Slovakia. And um, uh, Grandma Pusick spoke with a thick Eastern European accent, and I was introduced to Catholicism. We didn't go to church or anything when I was 
little, but when I was adopted, I went into Catholicism. I started going to parochial schools as we moved around the world, lived in different places. And so I was raised in a Catholic home and um, didn't know the Lord, but, but I knew a lot about Catholicism. I really did. And thought I might be a priest at one point in the eighth grade. Spent time in a Vincentian seminary and uh, thought I would do that. Of course, I'm married now. I have six kids. That didn't work out. But um, my grades changed, and I became a very proficient student. And, and a lot of those changes occurred after I was adopted. Now, I want you to know that, that as significant as that was in my life, that your adoption by the Father, if you know Jesus, and my adoption by the Father is far more significant. Now, adoption was not something that people in the Old Testament were familiar with. It really wasn't. Jewish law didn't provide for adoption. Adoption was a distinctly Roman conception that the Apostle Paul introduces in his writings. And you need to know that that's different. In fact, it's different from the way we adopt today. There's some profound differences in Roman law and Roman adoption than in the way that we uh, adopt. And it's important to know this because Paul grabs that metaphor to describe what has happened to you if you know Jesus. And so some of the key things I would, I would point out about it is that only Paul speaks of adoption. Now, Jesus alludes to it when he says, I won't leave you as orphans, but only Paul speaks of adoption. And, and Paul was a, a Roman citizen. And, and this was an aspect of Roman law. Now, I said that, that Jewish law had no provision for it, Jewish, Jewish custom. You could hand down property to someone. Uh, Eliezer of Damascus was the servant that, that Abraham had, for example, and he was going to make him an heir if he didn't have any children and give him his property. But that was not adoption in the sense that you and I know adoption. So uh, adoption in the Roman system involved the severing of the rights and responsibilities of a birth father and the assumption of those rights and responsibilities by someone who was not genetically or by birth actually the father. And, and so when someone was adopted in, in the Roman world, there was a transference from one father to another. And you need to know that in the Roman society, everything rose and fell on the father. They didn't adopt girls. Fathers adopted sons. And, and the father had complete authority over that child throughout their life. Those were the good old days, I guess. And uh, they could even sell their child into slavery if they needed to raise money. They could take their life. They, they had complete control over that child's existence. And so when adoption occurred, the one father, the birth father, would sell into slavery their, their child to the new father. He would set him free. He would do it a second time and a third time. It was a formality. It was a custom. And on the third selling into slavery, that, that new father would say, that's it. This person is now my son, and all rights are severed from this birth father, and this one has become my son. And, and whereas in the Hebrew world, the Hebrew mind the idea was to transfer property down from one generation to the next. In the Roman mind, it was about preserving the family name, like General Electric or something. It was preserving the family name. Now, Roman society was extremely stratified. 
A lot of classes there. And the highest class, the ruling class, was patrician, the patrician order, the patrician society. They were the rulers. Now, the truth about fathers extended all throughout the culture, but a patrician could adopt a slave at the lowest level of society. And when adopted, that slave, everything in their former life, they were severed from that former life. Their debts, their responsibilities, their name, their identity, all of that was gone, and that slave would become a patrician with all of the rights and authority and influence of the most powerful people in that culture, merely through adoption. The other thing I would say about Roman adoption is unlike adoption in our culture, Roman adoption could never be undone could never be severed. It was permanent. Now that has a lot to say to you and me about adoption. That's why I think Paul grabbed it because he saw so many things going on that you and I need to understand about what God's done with you and with me. So let me give you a definition of adoption. What is adoption? Here's the definition. Adoption is that act by which God the Father places sinful human beings into his family and grants them the same status as his own son. Isn't that cool? Now, how does that happen? Well, if you go back just a few verses, chapter 3, verse 26, Paul writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's how we become a child of God putting our trust in Jesus Christ who died for us. We simply put our trust in him and we are adopted. Now, if you're a woman today and you read something like, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, you say, well, does that apply to women? Absolutely. This is where Paul took the word and he redefined it for believers. In Roman culture, only men could be adopted. When God adopts someone, it's male and female. Anyone can be adopted. And you say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, you keep reading. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see it? So when he says sons, he's talking about men and women. No exceptions when we put our faith in Christ. Another way that this is said to us is in the Gospels in John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so adoption comes very simply. When you put your trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you become adopted into the family of God. Now, that's what adoption is. What does adoption tell us about the Father? What does adoption tell us about the Father? Well, it tells us several things. I want to call attention to that. What does adoption say? Galatians 4. Let me read verse 4 again. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So there's a time when you're not a child of God, and you become a child of God. But what does it tell us about God? Number one, it tells us why he saves us. 
It tells us why he saves us. If you look again at verse 5, it says he sent his son, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Why did he save you? So you could be forgiven? So you could be set free? All those things were means to an end. His ultimate purpose was that you would be his child. That you, God says, that you would be mine. My child. Ultimately, that's why he saves us. He didn't save you just so you could be good. By the way, you can't be good. He saved you so you could be his. So you could belong to him. And know him as your father. Second, second thing this tells us about God. Tells us how much we matter. He sent his son so we could be his sons. But then it says to redeem those who are under the law. That word redeem is a technical word. It was used when slaves were set free. It means the word redeem always, always means to set free by the payment of a price. And if you study that word in Scripture, those of you who are Bible scholars, you know what I'm talking about. Redeemed by his blood. Redeemed by the death of his son. There's always a price. And, and so it tells you how much we matter because what was the price paid to set you free? His son. Later Paul would say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. But that price immediately tells you how much you matter to God, how much you're worth. And every person you meet has that same value in the eyes of God. Infinitely valuable because his son is infinitely valuable. God sent his son so you could be set free. So never question your value to the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much you're worth. And when you look at other people and you talk about other people and you treat other people a certain way, listen, never forget their price tag. Never forget that every person you meet is worth the life of Jesus. And treat them accordingly. And then the third thing it tells us about God is what he wants from us. What he wants from us. Now, this is really important, and I hope you, you can see this in the things that we're reading and the things that we're saying. Because what does he want from you? And immediately we think, well, I have messed up my life, and he wants, he wants me to be forgiven. Well, that's true. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. And we needed forgiveness so much that God sent his son to die for us on the cross. And dear one, he didn't die for your, your sins as a general idea. He died for your sins specifically. Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Every individual sin you've ever committed or will commit, Jesus died for those sins. You needed forgiveness. You needed to be set free. You needed to be made right with God because you weren't right with God. 
You needed a new life. You needed a new destiny to go to heaven. But what does adoption tell us? You see, when I think about all the things that God does, he, he forgives us, he justifies us, he cleanses us of sin, he makes us holy in his sight, he, he even reconciles us to himself, he, he removes every obstacle necessary for us, he reconciles us, but ultimately adoption tells me what the, the heart of the Father is, and that is that he wants a relationship with you. A relationship with you. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? You say, well, I come to church. I didn't ask you that. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? You say, well, I give, I give tithes to the church. I serve the church. I have positions in the church. I didn't ask you that. I said, do you have a relationship with him? Jesus died on the cross so you might know God and have a relationship with him. The great terrifying verse that you see in Matthew 7 is when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You say, well, what's the will of the Father? He says, people are going to come. They're going to say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many mighty works in your name? And I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? That's what adoption tells us about the Father. What he wants most. From you and from me. The third question is this. What does adoption tell us about how to live? What does it tell us about how to live? How should it affect the way that I live? Well, you could, if you thought about it, you wouldn't even need the Apostle Paul. If you understood just what we've talked about so far, you could work out a lot of it on your own. I will let rest in his loving care and correction. If he's my father, he's in charge. Things are going to happen. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him no matter what. And you see those themes developed in Scripture. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's, he's saying why? Because this is proving your faith. It's testing your faith. And, and that's what the Father wants us. He wants us to trust him. He wants to, to, to trust him and know him through his spirit. And, and faith is more important to him because it's part of how we have this relationship with him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And, and so faith is valuable. Faith is precious. You know, when you and I are in trouble, our agenda is to get out of trouble. Amen? God has an entirely different agenda. Where's your faith? Will you trust me with this? Something new happens to you? He's saying, will you trust me with this? Something new comes into your life? He's saying, will you trust me with this? When Jesus teaches on prayer in Luke 18, he says... He tells this parable. He says men ought to always pray and not lose heart. He tells a story about a woman and an unjust judge. And at the end of the parable about prayer, and when you pray, you're saying, I believe you're there, God, and I'm trusting you. He, at the end of this teaching about prayer, always praying and not losing heart, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who have a sufficient relationship with him that they're still trusting him? Resting in him. 
How should adoption affect the way I live? There's a lot of things we could say. I'm just going to mention a couple. Here's the first one. Children want to follow their father. You ever notice that about kids? Dad goes off to work. I want to go with dad today. He goes out in the yard to work, mow the yard. Kids say, I want to help mow the yard. Now that stops eventually. <laughs> I raised six kids. I, it does stop. But when they're little, they just want to be where their dad is. They watch their dad. They want to be just like their dad. They want to do whatever he's doing. Children want to follow their father. In Romans 8, verse 14, the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. One of the characteristics of those who are indwelled by the Spirit of God is a longing to be where Dad is, a longing to be with the Father. And, and, and if he's out front and he's going that way, I want to be where he is. The disciples exhibited that when they followed Jesus from place to place. We see it in the book of Acts over and over again where it says the Holy Spirit said, they comprehended the Spirit was speaking, and they obeyed. Go near and overtake this chariot, Acts 8, Philip. Acts 10, Peter's on the roof, and the Spirit speaks to him. Go down. There's men at the door. Go down with these men. Wherever Jesus was leading, that's where they wanted to be. Children follow their father. It's the most natural thing in the world. And for the Christian, it's a supernatural development that should occur as you mature in Christ. Do you want to follow him? You know, more than believe in me, Jesus said, follow me. Do you want to follow him? That's the heartbeat of the relationship, is to be with him and follow him. Second observation about adoption, children want to be with their father. They don't want to just follow their father. They want to be with him. <laughs> I think immediately of someone like Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha's doing all the things that got to be done. You know, you remember that story? And, and, and Jesus says to Martha, 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 you're, you're worried and troubled about many things, but Mary, she has chosen the better part. Do you realize that of all the things you have to do in a day where the best part of your day is? That in the busiest week you have in front of me where the best part of that week is going to be. And you know how you get there? That place where Mary was, you make a choice. Mary has chosen the better part. No one drifts into an intimacy with Jesus. They're intentional about it. And so children want to be with their father. In Galatians 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of, son of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What difference would it make if I truly understood this concept of adoption? I would understand that the Holy Spirit in me longs to be with the Father. Longs and puts that longing inside of me. Getting up in the morning, first thoughts that come to mind. Getting up in the middle of the night, first thoughts that come to mind. Going through the day and a problem comes, a difficulty comes, a need comes. First thought that comes to mind, Father, I need you. Father, I need you. 
I love you. Father, how do you want me to respond to this? And there's an inner conversation and an inner dialogue because that place at his feet, you never have to leave there. You never have to leave there. He doesn't. When I came to know the Lord, I was 17. And if you knew me at 17, you wouldn't have ever expected that that young man would have anything to do with God. Because the older I got, the more angry and bitter and dark my soul became. And I don't have time to tell you my whole story, but I can tell you this. When I understood that the Lord wanted me, not my good behavior, not me to live a perfect moral life, when I understood that he wanted me, that every other father in my life might drop me and abandon me, but I had a father that was never absent from me. Never. When that came home, and I put my trust in Jesus, he came into my life, and I became a different person. I became a different person, not because I sat down and said, okay, here's what a Christian does. One, two, three, four, five. I became a different person because I had a new father. And I was in love with him. <laughs> and I wanted everybody to know it. I lost every friend I had in three months. I was the most obnoxious new Christian you'd ever want to meet. But I was, I was so excited. And that has never left me. Dear one, it's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. It's always going to be all about Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him? I know it's kind of awkward. You may have been coming to church a long time. You may, may have walked an aisle when you were a kid and joined the church. I know all the stuff that people deal with. I, I've heard it all. But the most important thing you can question and settle today is do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? We come to Jesus very simply. When we understand the good news, he said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And to make that life possible, he came into this world and did everything necessary to secure your salvation. He lived the life you will never be able to live. He did everything right. He was never out of fellowship with the Father. He always did what pleased God. None of us can say that. And, 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 and then he went to the cross and took your place, the punishment your sins deserved, my sins deserved, and he died for you. And to prove your sins were forgiven, he was raised from the grave. He defeated death, which was the consequence of sin. He overcame it. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's a very simple thing. Let me ask you to bow your heads, please, and to close your eyes.